Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. I am so glad you're here. We are releasing some of our most popular episodes on video right now. And so this episode is one of our most downloaded episode, and that is with Dr. Aziz. And he talks about his chronic pain and perfectionism and how that impacted his life from when he was 15 years old, the story that he had about himself, and you get to hear how he transformed that. And what I was thinking about, so, you know, this is now August 2023, this is three years later, and I am really connecting lately to how much I am an anti-perfectionist. <laughs> like, like I almost, it's funny because my husband's an, an, you know, has an engineering background and he's you know, very like particular with details, which I really, really love. But it's funny. We have these little, little things about like, I, I don't care if there's a spelling error, like in my personal calendar, I don't care if, you know, there's a typo in my text. Like, it's almost like I need to do these things to help, you know, my anti-perfectionism pursuit. <laughs> Can you pursue anti-perfectionism? I don't know. So I'm replaying this episode. And my intention is that Maybe there's some dots for you to connect between some chronic pain that you're having and a tendency to perfectionism. Uh, I think, you know, it's a it's a good time to go deeper with those things. And I know for me, I'm like the anti-perfectionism cheerleader for my daughter. I'm like, yeah, it's good enough. Go to sleep. You could do it more tomorrow. You know, just hand it in. It'll be fine. Like, just it's going to be OK. Just, you know for us to know that we're just, we're good enough. Oh, what a beautiful thing to really embody. And Dr. Aziz gives this great bonus that you're going to want to download called the five steps to unleash your in, inner confidence, five steps to unleash your inner confidence. And it's a video course and he's such a delight. I think you'll really enjoy him. And then keep in mind, this episode was recorded three years ago, December, 2020. So you can like really appreciate the context that we're in at the time. So without further ado, here's one of our greatest hits from chronic pain and perfection to mass liberation. You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes, and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive being myself, clarity will arrive. So I'll stand out and be J U I C Y. Stand out and be J U I C Y. Hello, welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show. I'm Lisa Cherney, and I love to kick things off with a thought-provoking question that 
obviously connects to today's guest. So here's the question. Do you relate at all to being a perfectionist? Now, there's a second part of the question. Do you have aches and pains that you struggle to fix? So if yes, do you relate to being a perfectionist? And yes, you relate to having aches and pains that you've struggled to fix. You're going to, this is going to be an enlightening conversation for you. I learned a lot, even though I get the whole mind-body connection. Our guest, Dr. Aziz, who's a world-leading confidence expert, was diagnosed at age 15 with an autoimmune disease that he struggled with chronic pain his whole life until just about three years ago is when he finally went off the medication after a obviously extensive journey with the inner game and confidence and perfectionism and social anxiety that led to him manifesting in his body this dis-ease. He's eloquent. He is such a great guy. He's a father of two, and he is the founder of the Center for Social Confidence. And he has a quite a, a large online following with his podcasts and YouTube videos. He's the author of three books. The most popular one is called, I love it, Not Nice. <laughs> so you want to check that out. And you'll see that in the show notes link, there is a cool gift from him five steps to unleash your inner confidence. And he's a really great teacher, very step-by-step, break things down. And I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation. One of the things that he said that just was like, oh, that hits me between the eyes is pain is a symptom of inauthenticity. That's a pretty bold statement to say. And I have to agree. My journey with pain has been primarily through migraine headaches, which I had a stint when I was like nine, 10 years old. And then they came back again when I was in college. And I remember my very first of many neurologists said to me, so do you have any stress in your life? And I was like completely oblivious to the way, like I just didn't, I was, I, I was dumbfounded. I didn't even know what he was talking about. Obviously I'm a college student. Obviously I have stress, but I wasn't, I wasn't really conscious to it. So that journey with migraine headaches was such a teacher for me. And I have to say now that I am I'm not headache free, but now I could take over the counter medication. And after I've tried to meditate and use chiropractic and do other things that I know to do, and I still really feel like they're a teacher for me. So I get it. If you've had chronic pain, I think you'll find this quite interesting. And he makes a couple recommendations of books and things that I think that you will you may journey into. So without further ado, Mr. Dr. Aziz. Dr. Aziz, we finally made it. Yay. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a long time coming and I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited. Welcome to the GFR show. <laughs> Thank you. And the last time we saw each other in person, I think was one of the last like live events that <laughs> happened on ever. the planet yeah. ever right. in humanity. Yeah, it was really great. We got to sit next to each other and connect and we're like, we need to. So I've been on your show and that was super fun. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad to have you in the, the GFR zone here. That's right. Yeah. You're made for it because our missions are so aligned in terms of having people just like live their truth, speak their truth, you know, just feel liberated in some way or in all the ways. And I love like kind of how you, you know, how you come at it. And I think it's going to be a great conversation to address some of the different ways that people suffer. Like, I feel like a lot of times I talk about 
I talk about the mindset. I talk about more business struggles and sort of how our beliefs about ourselves sort of manifest and slowing down our business. And I feel like you, we're going to have a really juicy conversation here that has a, a wider scope about all the ways that anxiety and stories that do not support our narrative of our life, how they slow us down. So yeah. I'm excited. Absolutely. And and we we can't silo things in our life as well as we think we can. So if there's, I mean, one of the main sources of anxiety for people, I think, is business, finances, career. And actually, if you peel one layer back, though, underneath that, the anxiety is other people. Because if you're in business, what's the anxiety? Oh, there's going to be an issue with this product launch. That means other people aren't going to like it, or I'm not going to be good enough, or the marketing's not going to go well. And then so-and-so is going to be mad at me, or I'm going to have, you know, so it's all about our own experience of, am I meeting the goals that I set, the expectations I have for myself? Am I going to disappoint others? Am I going to be not liked by people, whether yes. it's close people in my organization or the broader they? So you know, that anxiety, we're, we're bumping up against it all day long in business. And then even if we think, oh, that's just at work, like we, that anxiety, no. then we're feeling, and then we yeah. go home and we go to our friends or we have, you know, we go try to relax and it's there. Our life is one big cohesive experience. I could not agree with you more. You know, I've been saying now with the unmentoring work that I do, the heart of it is the connection between our healing and our work and this dance that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And from a, a more macro story, which is what the show is about, is sort of like the sort of significant dark night of the soul or the, you know, the deep struggle and how it bursts, you know, births a business, births a new mission. And I found, and I, and I, I've, I've been connected to that sort of bigger arc or narrative for a long time, you know, been working with entrepreneurs for 21 years and in spaces for a year or more. So I kind of got to see, you know, these stories play themselves out, but really now, especially now I see that it's not, it's not in a year I have to struggle. It's like, Oh, this week, what is the healing I'm doing this week? And how is that impacting my business? So I wholeheartedly agree on, you know, I, it's again, it's like a holistic approach. Like, and I love how you said it. We, we don't silo ourselves. We can't silo ourselves as as well as we think we do. I I totally agree. You know, I've been known to say like if you're if you're living with the wrong person, it's gonna fuck up your business. And if you think it's not, you know, you're in denial. Especially if you're especially and really to the point if your business is an extension of you or it's a mission mm -hmm. or a passion or, you know, it's just it's all counts. It's all part of it. So I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you. Absolutely. Me too. All right. So take us back to, so y'all heard in the intro that Aziz is a confidence expert. So take us back to the 10 year old shy, painfully shy kid. Yeah. Yeah. Why would someone become an expert in something, right? <laughs> because right. they're obsessed with it. Why would they be obsessed with it? Because they didn't have it. Uh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. So that, that was my experience. I didn't, know that I didn't have confidence until I reached a, a, an environment that showed that to me. So I went to a small school, spent time with my family and a friend or two, and just felt sort of normal, quote unquote. And then I entered a new environment, which was middle school. And all of a Our sudden, middle school, middle school, man, it's Lord of the Flies. It's totally it's like, and funny. My daughter is reading Lord of the Flies right now. It's, that's not a that's not some fantasy story. That's it is like true. The, the emotional 
cultural environment of a lot of schools, which is sort of like you're, you're on your own, fend for yourself, figure it out. Maybe you can talk with an adult if you're so lucky as to have that. But a lot of kids already develop some embarrassment or shame about talking with a parent even by that age. So you're kind of on your own. And, and it's the blind leading the blind, right? It's like I'm learning about sex from 11-year-olds around me. And I'm learning about, you know, porn. I'm learning about what, what, I'm, what it means to be a man yes. from 11-year-olds around me. You know, no indication, <laughs> you know, and we're just like, okay, what do you, you know? And then, you know, from, from the most minute detail, like all of a sudden on, you know, I'm like, I get there and it's a survival thing, right? Like, how do I fit in? How do I make friends? How do I get accepted? And our brain is doing, you know, millions of calculations a day just to try to figure that out. And it does, it, it takes in all data. So I'm looking at other kids and being like, okay, my socks are taller and have red stripes. Note to self, tell mom, I, I need new socks. You know, un, I got to change my underwear. I wore like briefs. Briefs are not cool. You got to wear boxers. You know, the music I liked, not cool. I mean, okay, what do these kids listen to? You know, and so it became this very rapid, if, you know, here's like, I like to think of our authentic self as like, a, you can think of it as a, as a wave, whether it's a sound wave or a, a river or something like liquid. And then it's all of a sudden you start building all these dams to say, okay, it's going to go through that channel and that channel and that channel and that channel. And whatever trickles out, that's the acceptable me. And I developed that. And, you know, with that though, there's a lot of anxiety because what about all that water that's hidden behind those? I hope no one ever sees that. And so I'd have this, you know, chronic experience of anxiety and trying to fit in. And I know that's like a common occurrence. Like everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's middle school for you. But there's levels of severity or intensity of that. And I think mine only increased. And especially as I, you know, became a teenager, went into high school, it just became an identity. You know, this yeah. is who I am. And, and it's also one last thing I'll say about it. It becomes a way that we deal with the perceived threat of being disliked. And there's many different ways that people deal with that. Mine was, I will avoid that threat. And the way that I avoid that threat is I fly under the radar and I'm not known and I'm not seen and I'm basically invisible in plain sight. And so that was a strategy I picked up from that young age and, and basically carried out for more than a decade. And at about 15, it started manifesting in your body, although you didn't make that connection at the time. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. I just woke up one day and couldn't walk. And I was wow. pretty active. I played sports. I played soccer competitively, all this kind of stuff. And I just, you know, got out of bed and just like crumpled over. And wow. I was very, you know, scared and confused and, you know, go to my parents. And, you know, at that, my parents were just kind of like, well, let's take you to the doctor. And that's what we did. And then let's, let's take you to another doctor and another doctor. And then I spent the next four years of my life in and out of medical facilities. We'd go to different cities and you know different states to go to the specialist and the next person who can have something and you know every single one of them was perceiving me as a biological machine which is what mainstream medicine does right it's like what's wrong with the machine do you need to change out the pistons what's going on with you you know and not one doctor and probably the 15 or 20 people that i saw over that four-year period said so how do you feel about yourself mm. well, what makes you anxious what, what, are you, what are your dreams in life? A lot of them would roll their eyes at that. Like, what is this? This isn't a therapy session. You know, let's fix the problem. And so that was the frame that we came to it at. And so as a result, now I'm anxious. And the one thing that I felt like was distinguishing, me, well, at least I'm good at soccer. I couldn't do that anymore. And so my identity became more and more limited during that period of time. 
You know, it reminds me of, so I've had a journey with migraine headaches for a lot of my life. And the first, and I can remember this guy's paneling, paneled office. I don't know if you have any of those vivid memories from like, like I remember this, we went to a neurologist that was serious, right? Mm. And he had this really dated, even for, even then it was a really dated paneled office. And I remember him saying to me, asking me about my stress level. And I was just like, and I think I was, I think I might've been like a freshman in college at the time. And I just remember not even connecting with his words. Like what? I don't have stress. Like I'm Mm -hmm. fine. Like there was, I was so unconscious to any manifestation of stress or that, or all the machinations I was doing in my being to accommodate you know, the, the lifestyle of being a college student. And, Mm. and oh, by the way, I had an eating disorder, undiagnosed eating disorder at the time. And, you know, like all of this stuff. And so I, I, I just remember, I just don't know why I always, I retained this memory of this, of this doctor asking me about stress and really not connecting to that. I had any stress at all at the time. And then the unraveling of that into my years of college. And then finally realizing that I was completely using food to cover up any, you know, as much as I could, much as the stress that I was experiencing. And I feel like I'm with you. I totally Mm. get that just sort of complete disconnect between the physical manifestations and, and the, you know, the, the mental aspects of it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's extremely common. I'd say that's, that's the norm rather than, than the exception. So then what happened? <laughs> yeah. So I, I know that like you, you started to get into personal growth. There was like something that clicked in with you at, so, at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Then I sailed off into the sunset of victory. And, yeah. Uh, and you became perfect ever since. Dr. Z's, you know, <laughs> right. married with two kids. <laughs> That's right. People chanting my name everywhere I yes. went. No. Well, I did have a, a shift that really helped me in that when I was 19, I got a diagnosis for my problem and then a a, a drug for my problem. And that drug actually did significantly suppress my symptoms. And this wasn't like, oh, I could just take like a, you know, over-the-counter pain or even like an opiate. And those things didn't do anything to it. That's how it was with my migraines. It was like, we, I was, I was like, I was, this is gonna sound graphic, but just like I was carrying around suppositories, like a refrigerated suppositories as for medicine to get, cause to, to be able to abort when I would have an attack. Wow. So yeah, yeah. I, I like, you know, like now I could take Motrin and it's like a fucking miracle that I could just take over the counter for a headache and it go away because it was so traumatic growing up. Like nothing worked. It was so scary. It so is. I hear you. Yeah. And so when someone says, Hey, you have this thing, the term they gave me was ankylosing spondylitis. Well, that sounds Latin. I guess it's legit. You know, you have this thing and we have this medicine yeah. that will help you. And it's a person in a lab coat saying it who means yes. well. There's a powerful thing called the belief effect. And anyway, it's also an immunosuppressant medication. So it suppressed my immune system. I had to get blood tests every six months to make sure I wasn't having problems with my white blood cell count, maybe more susceptible to other infections. There were there were issues with tumors and other things that, you know, they had to make sure. So there's already some issues with that. But I was like, hey, if I take that versus like, I want to kill myself because right. I'm in so much pain, I can't walk. I guess I'll know which one I'll take. And so I took that and I was able to like start to, I couldn't be super active, but I could move around. You know, I could walk, I could jog a little, I could go on a bike ride. I wasn't just so sedentary. 
And I started to be able to like, kind of almost come back online to like, okay, what do I want? And of course, what I want is a 21-year-old guy. I want ladies. I want to date. You know, and I'd never really dated in my life. I, I'd had two, I guess you put girlfriend in quotes because I don't know if it's your girlfriend if you date for like three weeks. But <laughs> that was my experience. And both of them were women that pursued me. And I was too afraid to ever ask a woman out that I was attracted to or drawn to. So that was like issue number one. It's like, if I, if I could just get a girlfriend of my choosing, all my problems will be yes. solved. <laughs> and so I looked up, you know, dating advice online. And uh, interestingly enough is I actually, the when I tell this story to people, it's kind of like, I looked it up and then all these changes happen. Actually, I don't know how, but an ebook from one of these dating advice guys was on my desktop for months before I had that wake up moment. In fact, um, so I did on like blue moons, ask a woman out and when I got to in, in college in my last couple of years of college there, like it would literally be once every year or six, six months to a year. And there, there'd have to be some force that like made it happen. So I remember there was this, <laughs> this woman that I was really drawn to and we were in this chemistry class and then there was a lab for the chemistry class and we happened to be lab partners. I mean, it doesn't get more like- No, no, <laughs> lots you, of opportunity. So lots of opportunity to beat yourself up for missing the opportunity to finally oh. taking the opportunity. Oh my gosh, you know, this is this is just a window <laughs> into the world of suffering. It's like, we're lab partners and I'm like, oh, thank you, you know? So we have this interaction <laughs> and you know, we're able to we connect and have a few little conversation it felt great. And then I was like, great, okay, now we're in this class that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're not going to be lab partners every week, but we were lab partners. We know each other's names. I'm in this lecture hall Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'll just go talk to her after class. I cannot tell you how many weeks would go win by Monday, Wednesday, and Friday where I would be aware. Like I would know where she was in the class. <laughs> and I'd just be like, where? There she is. Okay. I'm going to talk to her at the end of class today. And I have multiple memories of like she's walking with a friend or something. And I'm like, you know, eight people behind like, okay, okay. Aww. And I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't feel do it. Sorry for young Aziz. <laughs> young Aziz was scared Aww. and did not know that the fear will never go away without confronting it. So, but I did. When it was like like two weeks before the end of the quarter, I was like, well, now we're never. I got to do it. So I did her ask her out, and she said yes. Wow. And so this was like, oh my gosh, like what's now happening? What? <laughs> now what? And so I go home. And I find that ebook that I had on my computer that I'd never really read. I had this date like that. I think it was literally that that evening. We we're going to go see a movie and I'm reading through it and I'm like, I can't do any of this advice. Mm. Now, partially you might say, well, some of it was, it was a little bit gamey, you know, a little bit. So maybe that's why, but it was actually like, if you, if you go underneath the gaminess of it, it was a way of relating that was not so like pleasing and nice oh. it was a little bit more direct i mean some of it was a little weird but overall it would be like you know don't go in there thinking like we're gonna be she's gonna be my girlfriend like how do you know that what do you actually like what do you actually you know you know, say hey if this doesn't work out we could be friends like like take be, be aware of all that and i was like i don't want to say that i don't want to be your friend i want to so anyway i went in and i was me i thought 100 me but remember earlier the very beginning we're talking about that that current of water that goes through all those dams and then the trickle that comes out so i was that me the trickle which is warm and energetic but just oozing like pleasing and there's no hard edges to it it's polished and 
And there's just not much congruence and life force in it and not much attraction in it. So we have this date. Seems like, you know, we're not fighting. It's going well, but then... <laughs> not fighting. Success! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's the nice person's say, manifesto right there. So anyway, but but what happened is she, you know, the next phone call doesn't want to go out with me again. And I have no idea why. And actually, the the pain, that wasn't even the tipping point. I had to go all do through a whole other iteration of that. Another six months to a year. Another opportunity with a woman who happens to, like, we work in the same building where we're doing a helpline, where it's just people call in for a crisis, and you have hours and hours of downtime. So yes. I'm sitting there. We have all these conversations. I eventually ask her out. She eventually says yes. We go to this place, have a great connection. The next phone call doesn't want anything to do with me. And at that point, I'm like, and I'd already had so many insecurities about my appearance and everything. I was like, I guess I'm just like, like fundamentally un unlovable, undateable. I, there's something wrong with me. And so I remember I went and I, right after that phone call with her, it was kind of like, oh yeah, maybe we could hang out. Maybe not really, you know? And then I saw her a couple days later at that office and she was just sort of like clearly not wanting anything to do with me in that way. And I got home and I was like, uh, I hate my life. <laughs> and I went to go to my um, my desk where I one of my main ways of dealing with that was to play a lot of video games on my computer. So I went to go play, you know, when I booted up the Warcraft 3 screen, all my problems went away. Yes. And I could just focus in on that. So I started, to, I was going to play some video games and I just like, and I tell this story often, but I, I heard my roommate in the other room, like his voice kind of through the wall, like deep voice. And then I heard this like piercing, like, ha ha ha. And it was his girlfriend. She was laughing. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to have that. And so in that moment, I opened up the Warcraft boot screen and it was about to load the game. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't, I can't go back. Like the threshold of pain had been crossed. And I didn't know it in this moment, but it was like, I saw my future going forward that path and how painful it would be. And, and all of a sudden, Lisa Rankin has a beautiful quote about this. It's when the pain of where you are exceeds the fear of the unknown, you will jump. Mm -hmm. And yes. it was just like, it did. And so I jumped. And so I opened up that ebook. I read the whole thing this time with an open mind. I went and bought his like 12 part training series, you know, DVDs or whatever. And, and then got in that. And I was like, I'm going to apply everything. And I started to confront my fear and became utterly obsessed with the idea that we can actually transform our confidence. We can change the way we talk to ourselves, change the way we treat ourselves, change what we believe about ourselves, change our actions, get different results. I mean, wow, everything opened up in that, in that moment. That's awesome. Now you were in college at this time. Still? Yeah, it was my last year of college. Now, what point did you decide to become a therapist? It was a little bit before then. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was actually right around that time. It was, it was somewhere, it was all mixed in there. It was was like, it like related to like, I need to figure myself out? Yeah. So I yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was kind of like I was in sort of a confused free fall because I'd been studying computer science for almost three years ah. and I knew that's not what I wanted to do, but I was like, oh, I'm so far in it. I should just finish. But then it was like, no, I can't. I can't. That's not going to. I knew that much. Like I knew I would not thrive like coding in a cubicle. So I started to look for other things. I, I became really passionate about psychology. I thought it was really interesting. And then my dad's like, what are you going to do with psychology? Like he's a, you know, he's from Pakistan. He's like a engineer turned businessman. He's like, come yeah. on, psychology. What is this? And I was like, I don't know. But I think I had, I had a moment where it was this, a friend of mine 
who said like, oh, I think you'd be good at, if you want to pursue psychology, I think you'd be good at talking to people. You could help them. And I was like, really? So I think I started pursuing it like, oh, this is something that I'm interested in and I can do. But then within months, I started discovering the personal growth stuff. So then it became like, I'm going to go and get this training, fix myself, and then <laughs> conquer the world. And then help people along the way, I think. That was my, yes. that was my yeah. thinking back then. That makes total sense. So at some point, it stops becoming about being nice. Like it stops becoming about self-confidence. And you realize that there is more of a component around perfectionism or like needing to please. Can you... And then there was a physical part. Like, so can you kind of take us the next sort of fast forward down the journey to where yeah. your body and this next sort of awareness of, you know, cause like, I love hearing like, okay, like, cool. You know, I read the ebook and like, you know, I'm good to go. So then there was sort of a next sort of come to Jesus yeah. um, revelation that I think is, you know, the perfectionism part just really speaks volume because so like you said so much of our anxieties about other people but then there's i feel like the perfectionism aspect really really points the fingers back to us right it's really yeah. illuminating that shit that doesn't have anything to do with anybody else <laughs> sure yeah our ideas of how we should be and who we need yes. to be, and to be yeah and, yeah and i mean really let me just interject here just this you know one of my topics that i speak on a podcast is about being unapologetic and, you know, people always ask her, why do you think people aren't apologetic? Why do you think people don't speak their truth? I and mean, people ask me this all the time. And so I, I, I want to unpack it through your eyes and through your life journey, because I think you'll have some different things to say that are going to speak to people differently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and it wasn't just like the ebook. And then from there on, it was like, I became obsessed. So I was studying everything. I'd listened to all kinds of stuff. I got into therapy. I discovered Tony Robbins and went to his seminars. Mm -hmm. And there was a good old Tony, <laughs> good old Tony. And there's a, there's a, I'm still, I'm still, I'm in his mastermind right now. I still learn from him a ton. And there's sort of like, that was like a lot of me like doing to fix and figure out. And, and that was really effective for like basic self-confidence, you know, how to talk to people, how to get into rapport, how to connect, all that stuff. What I didn't realize, and most people that I know and work with don't realize, is that social anxiety isn't just like, I'm scared of people. Ah, you know, that's one manifestation. We all feel that on some level at some time, you know, may not be with everyone, but, you know, people might feel it around people that they think are important or that person they want to date or that person that they want to impress. I call them um, pedestal people pedestal people. Here's a fascinating thing. This experiment can still be done even in the midst of, you know, <laughs> pandemic lockdowns. I would suggest this to people before. It can still be done now. You walk down a, a an area where there's people out and about, maybe you have masks on, I don't know, <laughs> and you say hi to them. And I call it friendly greetings. And you walk down a street and just say hi to 15 or 20 people. And you'd be amazed how many people who don't think they have social anxiety are slightly resistant or scared to that. Or I'll say, let's take it one step further and do something called embarrassment inoculation. Let's have you dance on that street corner right there. And you take people who are like, I'm totally confident. I'm good at sales. I'll speak in front of a group of people. And you say, why don't you dance on that corner? And they're like, no way. Are you scared? No, I'm not scared. I just don't want to, you know? And so we all have our places where we feel afraid of people's judgment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one level. What I didn't realize, though, is that that doesn't have to stop us and make us hide from everybody. We can still go out there and put our best foot forward and all that. But what we're doing is we're, we're presenting a polished version of ourselves. 
And the two most common polished versions of ourselves are the nice person and the perfect person. Mm. And so we're like, I'm, I'm still afraid of being judged by you because the core of social anxiety is on some level, I don't feel like I'm okay enough or lovable as I am. And I'm afraid you're going to see that and judge me. Now, that's very dysfunctional if I stay hidden my whole life. So what I learned to do is put on a mask, which is the nice person mask. That was my first one, which is like, hi there, you know, I'm charming and friendly and do all the things that you like. And what do you need? And what do you want? And, and, and I'm going to, you know, do all that. And so now I'm still trying to avoid your disapproval and your judgment. I'm just doing it in a more effective way. And the other side of that is the perfectionism one, which is, that's a little bit more, a little less about how you are in, in relation to me. That's more about like, I'm going to go be awesome in all these ways. And you're going to be so impressed by me that you couldn't possibly dislike me because I'm awesome. And that's the pursuit of perfectionism. And, you know, both of those are problematic because we are inherently hiding everything that's behind the mask. And so the nice person is hiding their upset, their frustration, their disagreement, their dislike. They're doing it with a lot of apologies and a lot of suppression and a lot of avoidance. And they're not, they're not maybe asserting boundaries. They're hiding their preferences. They're hiding all of that. The perfection person, perfectionism, and I know these because I, I, I have both masks. Oh, we're going to get into you in just a minute here, yeah. sir. <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the perfectionist is like hiding anything that they deem is not perfect, which could be any flaw, any shortcoming, any upset, emotions like anger, anxiety, upset, overwhelm, like that's all hidden. Mistakes can be hidden. Not knowing something can be hidden and it's exhausting. And then we wonder, why am I tense inside? Why am I anxious inside? Why do I have chronic pain? It's because your body is in a constant state of fight or flight or threat. Not because you're under real threat, but because you perceive the threat of being judged by others as intolerable period period <laughs> period so that, right. that 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 was my world that i that i lived in during yeah that yeah because i was gonna say you know also concurrent with what you're sharing is you're still on the meds you're still identifying as having an autoimmune disease yeah and still that's being just, nice still being perfect yeah so it sounds like you're working harder and harder with your masks and how did that manifest in your body or in your life? Oh yeah, yeah, I would have, so I took that medication that suppressed my primary symptoms, which is a lot of back pain, packing the glutes, down the leg, all that stuff. But I was like a whack-a-mole with different pain symptoms and different things. So I, I mean, chronic, it's carpal tunnel syndrome, repetitive stress, I'd play the guitar, I'd get pain in my wrist, pain in my finger. I would, I would sit at a computer, I'd get pain in my neck, I'd get pain in my shoulders, I'd get pain in my fingers, pain in my wrist. I, you know, pain running. I try to run for a little bit and I get plantar fasciitis. There was all these fancy names for all the pain I was getting. And so I thought, geez, sure, we can suppress my main symptom, but my body's just pretty broken. I mean, that's just, let's face it. Let's just look at how it is. That's what I perceived. A little like foreshadowing that I didn't see at the time is I, I joined a men's group and this was a major turning point in my life because I, I was I was able to have the confidence to meet women and date them but I still had a tremendous amount of anxiety about getting really close to a woman, primarily because the masks have to come down at some point. You know, and you and mean I, physical or emotionally close? Emotionally close. Like we could, I could sleep with a woman and then generally want to distance after that. That was a pattern I ran for about five years where I'd just be sort of like, hey, you know, and, and a couple of times I sort of sustained it for maybe three or four months in a, re in a relationship of that kind. Yeah. And 
But then you it was just like, used air quotes, y'all, uh, that are not, <laughs> that's that are right, not yeah. seeing a video. Yeah, air our quotes. relationship. <laughs> yeah, <quotes>. I mean, because <laughs> that would be me like probably wanting to leave after two months and then saying, hey, I'm I'm messed yeah. up. I should try to, you know, persevere. And then holding on for another two months. I didn't realize at the time, but you can't enter into a real relationship if you're not willing to take off the masks. And I didn't know that. I thought, yeah. I thought. Well, you can, the, you just don't know that it's not real and neither does the other person. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. If both people are are okay to play at that level, then you might be able to sustain some sort of structure of togetherness. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by that because of my journey with relationships and conventional and unconventional relationships, monogamy, non-monogamy, and my acute awareness that when I got married at 24, you just, that's what you did, you know? Yeah. You just, you know, you date and then in for us, we got engaged after four months and we're married within a year. And that wasn't me feeling like, oh, I need to find my husband and like kind of, but it just was like, that's what you do. There was no, there was no choice. So I just, I feel like that's where it supports the masks because you just, you know, both people sort of agree to the same social construct of we date for a while and then we get married and then we have kids. And at some point, point that's where I feel like some of these starter marriages right it's just like at some point the mask begins to erode or it's just too much energy to hold it together so I kind of think it was great that you know like I'm glad you didn't <laughs> weren't able to sustain it or didn't you know ran because I think some people can't sustain the mask for their whole fucking life you know and yeah, yeah. so yeah and that's blessing and in that's, disguise uh, absolutely and I think that's where the you know we were talking about kind of divine timing or divine guidance, right? There's something that I think is like steering that is way beyond us, way beyond our, our individual sense of self or consciousness that is the consciousness. And it's something that's, that's guiding us. Uh, that's, that's a personal belief of mine. So, and I, and I can see that when I, when I look back at this, this story and there was a moment I was in a, so I was dating this, this woman and within the first, okay, this was this, I, I sometimes teach about relationship confidence. And I was like, here's the wrong way to enter into dating in a relationship. Ooh, who's that person? They're really special. They're beautiful. They're amazing. They're accomplished. Whatever. I must have them. They must want me. You know, how, what do I need to do to make this work? Yeah. You're already, you're already toast, you know, because and we do this in marketing, like, you know, yeah. like a, a complete parallel to how we show up in, in marketing our businesses. We want, just want to find out who wants us and become whoever they want us to be. Yeah. And yeah. then we're down the road with our masks and, and miserable in our business. Yeah. Yeah. Because we perceive that fulfillment or happiness comes from obtaining the object, the thing that we want. And we fail to realize that it actually comes from the expression of who we are. Oh my God. I could not agree with you more. And my direct parallel is money, the pursuit yes. of money and money related success and feeling like that is going to somehow make us happy. And it's so trite, but it's not, <laughs> you know, in terms of fulfillment and enjoyment. And so I, you know, in my, yeah, yeah, that's my current soapbox is I'm no longer willing to sacrifice enjoyment and fulfillment for, for the pursuit of money in my business. And, and ironically having lots of fun financial success and holding that space for others. So I love it. You're like the, the yin to my yang in terms of like life relationships and navigating those things. It's yeah, it's very, very cool. So your masks begin to suffocate you. That's right. Yeah. And so I'm in this relationship within the first date, 
I, I, I'm drawn to her within the first date though. It's like clearly going to be an uphill road for you, like, for me, like kind of seeing if she's into me or signals are strange. Ooh, that's even more of a reason I got to win her over. Right. Then finally doing that, but then just like not really slowing down and being like, who is this person in front of me? You know, how, I mean, these are questions I did not ask that at that time in my life, you know, like how self-aware are they? How, how much have they grown their capacity to give and receive love? Like these are real important things. Those are a Dr. Aziz questions and you didn't have those yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. That was, that was, you know, and, and then on top of that, there was, I have to prove something because if I can't get into a relationship, air quotes again, if I can't be in a relationship, then there's something wrong with me. I had this mm. story that was starting to develop. There's something defective about me. So, so this so is going to prove that you are normal. This I'm going to prove that I'm normal with her now, despite now. all evidence to the contrary. And so I go into it and I'm just suffering like crazy. I mean, she's like really warm and then really cold and mean. And I'm just like, okay, let's keep working on this. And in that, I, we dated for six months and it's on again, off again, just a whole mess. And in that time, my symptoms are going crazy. I'm having the most pain I've ever had. I mentioned this to you before. I had, up until that point in my life, I had one cavity. I was 26 years old. Between, in that six month period, I had 13 new cavities and needed a root. Oh my God. And there was no Not change. Not just a few, my, but 13. <laughs> yeah. I was like, my body was like in revolt. It was, it was falling apart in a lot of ways. My immune system was probably really, you know, diminished. And I'm already, I'm, I'm also taking this immunosuppressant medication. Like there's a lot going on. So you don't really so, know what's going on. Cause I don't know what's going things. on. Yeah. And, and I think that's a big problem when it comes to physical pain is people say, I don't want to know what's going on. Just make my pain go away. Cause we're so afraid of it. And we have from a young age, don't have any training or understanding of how to be with pain. And the idea is pain is the enemy. Pain is a problem. Pain must be eliminated. Not pain as a messenger. Pain is information. Pain might be telling you, hey, get the hell out of this relationship disease. Pain might be telling you, hey, you're not living your authentic self and you're trying to be too nice and perfect. Like we miss all those messages and we try to suppress the pain. And we do that through every stage of life all the way until death. We try to suppress the pain of death. We try to suppress the pain of loss of, of people that we love with antidepressants. I mean, it's just, it's one big masking that we're attempting to do. And then as a result, we're very weak, I think, in our capacity to be. So anyway, but I, I joined this men's group. It was like, during this time, I'm, I'm in this relationship. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta figure my shit out, you know? And someone told me about, you know, I was, I was learning how to do group therapy in my graduate training at the time. And I was like, well, hey, I should be part of one so I know how to do one better. And I was in one and... I never forget, I remember I was talking about some issue with that relationship and people to this day still kind of poke fun at me about this, how when I'm talking about something, I'll use sound effects, especially to describe emotions. Okay. So I'll be like, you know that feeling inside where you're just like, Ugh, you know, and people <laughs> laugh because it's, you know, they, but that's what I did. I was talking about the relationship and I made this sound effect and I pointed at my like core of my body and the guy's like, I hear you make that sound a lot that sound, you know, and it was like this tightness. I had this chronic tightness in my solar plexus, like from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. And I just had no understanding of like these messages that were coming from my body. You you were aware that you felt that in your body. Yeah, I felt that tightness, but I didn't know what to do with it or how to make it. I just want to get rid of it. I want it to go away, you know? So all that culminated in eventually me ending that relationship and through that men's group, really discovering like, oh, wow, I am like nice guy city. 
I am just, I don't even know what I really think or feel. I have all these rules about how I'm supposed to be as a quote, good person who doesn't upset anybody who, I mean, I, I created a list of my shoulds, how I should be. And the thing was like five pages long. Wow. And it's like, how can you thrive with that many confining rules? So during that period of time, I grew immensely out of that cage of niceness to become more expressive, more direct, more bold, and was actually able to meet the woman that is now my wife and start a, a real relationship. <laughs> and But it wasn't until maybe three years into that, two, three years into that relationship, right before my first son was going to be born, that I picked up a book. Actually, someone recommended a book to me by a guy named Dr. John Sarno, who is a pioneer in mind-body medicine. And I started to read the book and say, wait a minute, these symptoms, I have these physical symptoms. And he attributes it to two things. He called it goodism, which is basically being too nice, Wow. and perfectionism. And he's like, these are the primary sources of, of chronic back pain. And What's other, the name yeah. of the book? The, the name of the book is called Healing Back Pain. He also has another one called The wow. Mind Body The Mind Body Prescription. And I remember the mind body prescription I read, I was listening to it on a drive home. I was driving, I was supervising some graduate students in a clinic and I was, it was a 45 minute drive home and I was driving home and I listened to this book. I listened to the first 20 minutes of it and I was going to, or maybe 30 minutes, I was going to get home in about 15 minutes. And I was like, I can't go home right now. And I just like pulled off and there was this little estuary path and I walked in this path for about three hours listening to this book. And it was like, something breathing life into my soul. It was like waking up from a nightmare. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not broken. This makes so much sense. And I, and I was open and it started to, it shifted the course of my life in so many beautiful ways. And I'm so grateful for, for that book and for John Sarno and all the people that are, that are pioneering that awareness or deeper understanding of how we work than what we've been taught to believe. Yes. I love that the book was called Healing Back Pain. <laughs> the second one, I don't know if it was his, if it was his second one, but I'm just, I love, because that's such a great access point, right? To, to name the physical symptom versus, you know, upfront kind of hint at like, there's more yeah. to it. <laughs> you know, you kind of suck yeah. people in with, I want to heal that pain. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. All it's, it's, it's solid marketing, right? You know, yes. speak to the yes. pain that they're feeling. No, don't try to convince it of something in the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're in graduate school when this, you know, when that, you know, enters your awareness now. And you had mentioned that you have been off meds for three years. So was there like another turning point that had you finally like unplug from the matrix? <laughs> as yeah. I like to say? Yeah. So I read that book at age 32 and I still took the medication for three more years because, and I, and I applied all the teachings and everything and, and was able to resolve a, a dozen different chronic pain issues that I had. But that main original one, I believed this is a medical condition. This From the is age not, of 15, you were given yeah, that label. And, and it's different. It's different than that mind body stuff. This is a, I'll work <laughs> on that other stuff. This is, that's what you're taught when you get the diagnosis. This is a biological sort of unfolding that's going to unfold your entire life. And if you don't take this medication, your spine will fuse. That's what I was told. So wow. there's a lot of fear behind that. And you know what's fascinating, you say, well, what's the cause of it? The most common response is, well, we don't know. So it's like, well, how do we know the prognosis if we don't know the you know, cause? Like, what's the, where is that certainty coming from? But at the time when I was in chronic pain so much so that I wanted to end my life, that certainty was a gift. 
and I'm so grateful for it. And then later on, I became able to look at it differently. So it wasn't until about three years after studying that stuff that I had another moment of like, wait a minute, these symptoms that they're describing are the exact same symptoms I feel in my back and body. Like maybe, just maybe, this is also a mind-body condition which from the outside might seem obvious, but to, you know, when you're in your own. Yeah. Because like you needed to almost remove the layers of the obvious pain and the, like the, you know, you needed to kind of handle those, those obvious things first, and then sort of be at the core, you and your meds and this diagnosis and your personal identification with it and have some kind of crack in the, yeah in the, I don't know what you're and it was, story. it was courage too, because the pain was so intense. And Dr. Sarno talks about this. He says, like, in, in clinical medicine, this kind of pain is some of the most severe stuff I've ever come across. And so that confuses people because they're like, well, if it's not, if I'm not like literally breaking inside, why does it hurt so bad? And so I think there for me, and and there was to in order to overcome it it involves changing your relationship to the pain and not letting the pain dominate your mind and, and, and upgrading your perception of yourself. And in that there's a willingness to like, okay, bring the pain on. I'm not going to run from it. And that, I mean, I probably couldn't have done that earlier in my life. I didn't have the emotional resources. I mean, I've grown so much with, from being with my wife, Candace, she's just an amazing, brilliant teacher and so self-aware and emotionally aware. So it's like, I then had the, solid foundation to do that work. And then I I did and I was able to get off the medication. And even then there's still now, I'm still unraveling. So now when I feel pain, instead of being like, oh no, I'm doomed. It's like, okay, there's another layer of learning right now. There's another level. And it's like, there's levels of personality, right? Perfectionism and niceness. There's levels of, you know, we talked about, it's this one of your GFR, right? Like trust in your, the mission, right. And, and have faith in your mission. Yeah. Number GFR commandment, number six, have faith in yourself and your mission. And that confession questions, what would I do differently if I had faith in myself and my mission? Yes. And so I, I've now upgraded my perception that pain is information. Pain is a messenger. And some of those messages that I got three, four years ago about perfectionism and niceness are no longer the answer. I wanted it to be like, well, I figured that out. Boom. Because I've done yeah. so much to be less. Well, nice. that was kind of my like the, the final segment is like I want to know because this has all been going on. You've had your business for a while now, so I I want to know how these different levels of you getting to the different levels of getting to the heart of your journey and your relationship with pain and like how has that impacted the work you're doing with others now? Like, because yeah, I'm just curious. curious. And obviously it's still happening, you know, it's still evolving, but is there yeah. like when you went off meds and, you know, and now it seems like you're kind of even at a new level of like, bring on the pain, you know, let me learn from what's happening in my body, you know, and, and are you finding that shaping your work even more now with people like that are thinking it's just about being nice and I don't know. Yeah. What, oh, what man. do you want to share I mean, with us about that? <laughs> sure. It's informed me all along the way. And I would say even at this, this current stage, now I, w- I would, s- this is so simple that it kind of <laughs> doesn't give people much to hold on to. So more explanation is needed. But th- my understanding is the pain is a symptom of inauthenticity. Oh, 
that says everything to me. And authenticity is at so many levels, right? So maybe you're not speaking your truth. That means you're being too nice or whatever. So that's one level of inauthenticity. But that have faith in your mission. My, My most recent experience of pain was I am called for a mission that I've given the title of mass liberation. There was a phase where I was like going for it, you know, all all out. And then I hit some walls in my own capacity to, in business to manage and, you know, scale and grow. And then I kind of retreated a little bit, which is a totally natural thing to do is like pull back, reassess and then go out again. But when I retreated, it was kind of like, you know what, that whole thing, that's not really, I don't need to. I don't know I don't, what I was thinking. I don't want to pursue that. You know? And then pain. Pain is saying, hey, wow. no, that's not the way to, that's not the right interpretation because my authentic self, like the way that life needs to move through me is in the full expression of that mission. And if I don't, then I'll get pain. This is what I was, was my next lesson. But so to answer your question of how this has been, it's every step of the way. I mean, it's been teaching me. I think one thing it did is when I went to graduate school, everyone had like their dogma of like, this is the approach, right? You know, you had to identify what kind of, what's your theoretical orientation, they would call it. It was just like, you know, what camp are you in? Are you a behaviorist? Are you a psychoanalytic? Are you, you know, acceptance-based, mindfulness-based? Like, what is your thing? And and some camps were like allies, like, okay, you could be a cognitive therapist. <laughs> you could be a mindfully-based cognitive therapist because there's empirically supported validation, but you can't be a psychodynamic, you know, analyst. That's a waste of time, you know? And there was so much that, and and I never, it never clicked with me because my motto from, from a young age, once I started to discover this stuff was whatever it takes and whatever works. Because when I had something that like the pain where it seemed like nothing and I wasn't like idly, I mean, I was taking the medication, but I wasn't just like, give me the pill. I'll do nothing. I would do anything to try to improve my health. I mean, I could, I could spend an hour talking about all the crazy shit I tried to try to improve my health from fasting to different diets to, I mean, all kinds of, you know, yoga, all these different things. And those are the, like, the more mild stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so when I got to that, like the idea that, Someone's like, this is the way, this approach is the approach. I was always like, there's going to be someone out there who comes across that approach, that's the way, and it's not going to be the way for them. So we got to get flexible. So I became extremely open-minded. And now when I work with people, it's actually interesting. I was training some people to try to do what I do, and I found it actually really hard. Because they're like, well, can you break it down into like a five-point methodology? And I was like, I could. And so we experimented with that. And then they're like watching me work with people are like, well, are you following the methodology? And I'm like, <laughs> no, not really. You know, cause there's another thing. Cause I saw right here, you know, so every step of the way, it made me way more open-minded. It's extremely humbling, extremely humbling. So especially in the realm of teaching confidence, right? It's sort of like I could fall into this trap. And I think a lot of, you know, teacher business owners do. It's sort of like, I have to represent the perfection of what it is I'm teaching, right? So the business coach has got to be perfect at business, right? The confidence expert person has to be supremely confident. And and it's easy to try to fall into that, you know, to believe that story and then try to represent that. And the pain would just like humble the shit out of me, <laughs> right? Because it's like, how can I, in, in any, any attempt that I'd be like, well, I'm better than that person or any of those pseudo types of confidence that would come up in me would just get shattered because you know, here I am feeling really strong and able, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, three weeks later, I'm having a hard time. I have to like think about when I'm in bed, how to get from the bed to the bathroom with like the least amount of pain. And 
it strips away not just that physical sense of I'm better than people, but it's just humbling, right? So if I'm judging someone for, oh, that person's not very active, they should take better care of their health. I'm like, I have no fucking idea what's going on in that person's world. Maybe the fact that they're just like standing is a sign of their extreme, you know, will and grit. And also like that kind of emotional, I got it all figured out. Like, wait, I've been studying this stuff for years. I'm a psychologist, I'm a coach, and and I still can't figure out this fucking pain. Like, you know, it, it would it would humble me in that way too. And so, and it also taught me to surrender. Teach, it continues to teach me to surrender very oh, fast. preach, preach. Where I'm it's all like- all about surrender these days. This is how it's gonna go today. Oh God, that's not going that way today. And, <laughs> and, and like, how how quickly can I let go? And And, you know, the beauty is the more I've been able to let go, the more I've been able to humble myself, the more I've been able to be more authentic, the less I need that message of pain. And so in the last two, three years, I've been able to be just do so many things with my body that bring me such joy from working out more to running a marathon to just this summer, I hiked around, I'm in Portland and there's a mountain nearby called Mount Hood. And I hiked around the mountain in one day with my brother, it's 43 miles. Wow. And it was the most physical, you know, strenuous feat I've ever done. And I, I was just, I mean, there's the, you know, that might be a powerful experience for anybody to do, but for me to- With to, your brother like, probably had a significance as well. So beautiful. And I was yeah. just so, so for me, when I'm physically healthy and able to do something with my body, I just feel so much gratitude, which is another gift that, that that's come from this. So it's, yes. it's informed my, my work with people all along the way and stripped away that like, I have it all figured out, you know, let me, let me tell you how it is. And it's a much more like collaborative, humble way that I work with people at this point. I love that. And I just, I want to come back around to mass liberation. So in closing, what is your vision for mass liberation? Yeah, I love that. So the message, and I love the idea of a vision coming from the future as opposed mm-hmm. to me like creating it and moving towards it. You're going to meet it. It's already there. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that might sound like semantics to, to some people, but that makes all the difference in terms of my energy to move towards it. It's like, I'm not, it doesn't, one thing like takes energy, like, here we go. Yeah. And you know? it's more and ego other, driven, right? It's more like, I'm going to create it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make this thing yeah. happen. Am I good enough to make it or not? And when I, when I see the future as that, it's not an I, it's a we. And, you know, it's not just am I, it's like, this is what is called, I will do it. And we are coming together to make this happen. The we is the people on my team and all the people that come. The we is also the people that are part of the liberation. Like, you know, so it all is this beautiful flow. And the way that I see it is, so I, I'm a writer, I'm an author. I have four books, the fifth one's coming on the way. And I foresee it's, it's more and more through that vein that I'm touching people and, and reaching them. And then... And then from there, I see a lot of teaching. It might look the way it does now with like group programs and coaching. And it also might just be, I love, you know, like just you go to a place and you talk for two or three hours and just leave something of value for people to have and then go somewhere else. So that's sort of the sense that I'm receiving yeah. from the future right and now. And how would you define mass liberation? Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So what is the thing? So that is waking up from who we think we are to who, to what we really are. So it's pretty broad. So confidence is a part of that. Like you're not just a nice person. You're this bigger 
sense of you, right? You're not, you don't, you're not just this, you don't have to be perfect. You can be all of you. Like that sort of mass liberation is defined in the, you know, you're not unlovable and you have to hide all these parts. You are actually, the parts that you want to hide are actually what make people love you. Like those are mass liberation on the sort of social confidence level. But then there's mass liberation in the health realm, right? Like, hold on a second. Your body's not broken. You have fibromyalgia, migraine headaches, most back pains, you know, foot pains, plantar fasciitis, like all these things can be like radically healed. Like, so that's a form of liberation, right? It's like your body is not what you, you think, what you've been conditioned to think. And then, you know, I think there's another layer that's sort of unfolding more and more for me of like, probably in the spiritual realm of like, okay, you, I think I'm this me who's like <laughs> trying to get stuff and, and, and a more direct knowing of that collective consciousness that we yes. are. I feel like that's okay. That's happening. I'm not teaching that directly or anything yet that might come about. It will. I think everything, I think everything I do would, will be grounded in a lot of like practical. Yeah. Well, stuff. I feel like that third piece is more of what you're holding is holding close right now because that's more of the, where you're at, like that's yeah. your stretch, right? Yes. So once it gets to a gestation, it will, it will be added to the, to the trifecta. That's right. That's right. I love <laughs> it. All right. This was awesome. I could talk to you for days. I consider me a partner in your mass liberation mission and yes. I am, I am honored to be part of it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm making myself a part of it. I hope that's okay. <laughs> you are, you are, you already are. I mean, when I interviewed you, I, you know, in the, in the, in the podcast, my podcast, I knew you are. And it's, it's, and that, and I'm like, Hey, all hands on deck. All hands the more, on deck, y'all. The yeah. More, yeah. I was talking to someone recently who was like, Oh, there's, she, she's wanting to do more coaching online. She's like, Oh, there's all these people marketing themselves as coaches online. And I'm like, don't make that hand gesture. Do this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, more, more yeah, humans exactly. who, who have it. skills that they want to help other humans. Yeah. Like, I think we need as, as yeah. much of that as we can. It's not about being unique anymore, y'all. It's like, you yeah. will attract your people. And I say, fuck, that helps a lot with me attracting my people. <laughs> and <laughs> more like a turning other people off, which That's uh, good. we all just yeah. all have to be, you know, like you said, our, our true self, right? Our true self and, and, and the journey, right? The, just the absolute journey, lifetime journey of what does, the F does that mean? So I, I consider you a an evangelist for, is that the right word? Am, am I saying that right? Yeah. Evangelist of, of helping people to find themselves and in big and small ways. So I'm so glad that you took up the helm of the work you're doing with confidence and, and the work you are moving into. And I really I, I, my heart goes out to that 15 year old boy and, but we all know that he needed to have that pain in order for you to own this mission. So that's what the show's all about. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're most welcome. And you know, we just, Alez, the last thought is, you yes. know, how the future, you said like the future is already there and it's coming and you're just, and, and it's coming back in a way. I love to take that idea of like, that's not just later to now. That means like now goes back to when I was 15. And that 15 year old who had that moment of like, wait a minute, no, like what if that was influenced by me yeah. now being like, hey, bud, do this instead. And I just, when I, when I think of the timeline in that way, it's just, it's so beautiful. And then all these things are, are gifts. So hopefully that serves, you know, all of us to, to reflect on and be like, wow, what is that? What is that thread that's, that's guiding us through, through, yes. through our lives? Yes. Amen to that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, that was an enlightening conversation. I told you he was an awesome man. He's just such a great, a great guy and so willing to just <laughs> share so vulnerably his journey. If you are new to the Get Fucking Real show, I suggest that you make a point to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of these inspiring stories, especially if you are a entrepreneur on a mission and you can relate to there's often struggle along the way where your healing of that struggle is central to your mission and informs your business. I would love to make sure that you have a steady dose of inspiration to keep you going because your work is very important in the world. I know that if you are here. So go to your favorite podcast listening app. If you don't have one, find one. <laughs> There's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Overcast, all kinds of great apps and look up the show, the GFR show and subscribe. And then you'll not miss another inspiring story. Make sure you grab Dr. Aziz's five steps to unleash your inner confidence. That's a free gift that he's gifting our audience. All right. Bye-bye y'all for now.